0: Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a special Resurrection Sunday message. But before we get to that, let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Our service begins at 1030 on Sunday mornings, and we would love the opportunity to meet face-to-face and to worship with you and your family. If you have any questions about the church, let me invite you to check out calvaryfayetteville.com. Call us at 479-442-4634 or email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, as well as Instagram. Well, Pastor Kirk's message today is a special Easter message entitled Resurrection Questions, and it's taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. Let's listen together.
1: Well, I want to speak to you today on the subject of Resurrection Questions. Now, a number of years ago, and I reported these results to you so if they sound familiar, uh, for some of you, uh, then you will remember having heard them. Several years ago, I polled our shepherd leaders and our deacons here at Calvary. And I asked these spiritual leaders of our church family one question. In your opinion, when you think of the great Christian celebration of Easter, what is one question more than any other That you wish you had an answer to. And these were some of their responses. Where did the Easter bunny come from? And is he real? What does he have to do with colored eggs? How did that get to be a part of Easter Sunday? Why do all the girls get new frocks? and I don't get anything. That's an old-fashioned word. A frock is a dress, right? One said, who said we were supposed to eat ham on Easter? I don't like ham. One response, what's the big deal about peeps anyway? And maybe the best response of all, Why do they have all those children rolling eggs on the White House lawn? Don't they lay enough eggs in Washington, D.C. already? (laughs) Well, maybe that didn't really happen, but it could have. You never know. It could have. Most of the time when we think of Easter are resurrection questions. The questions that come to mind, not only maybe with us, but also certainly with those who are not followers of Christ, have to do with whether or not the resurrection ever really took place. Some will even go so far as to say, well, Jesus never truly died. Maybe he just swooned. Maybe he just passed out on the cross. And so the resurrection wasn't truly a resurrection anyway. And they go on to say, and many Christians even buy into this fact or this statement, that the resurrection is simply a matter of personal faith and belief anyway. It is a it is a spiritual question only. There is no physical evidence. There is no real hard evidence to believe and hang on to that the resurrection is part of a whole spiritual idea that Christians have come up with and if you want to believe that stuff, if it works for you that's fine, but it's not for me. Well certainly it is a matter of faith, but I want to attest to you this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more than a matter of faith. And certainly, it is not a matter of blind faith. There is hard and fast, undeniable evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to go into that this morning. But if you'll come back next Sunday, we will. I want to tell you why it only makes sense to believe in the resurrection, why it's not something that could have been faked, it's not a story that someone has just come up with, that it's not a matter of blind, unfounded faith, it is faith based on hard realities and true facts. We'll talk about that next week. It is One of the most verifiable events of all human history. By the way, keep this in mind, history is his story. He is the very centerpiece and hero of all of the story of Scripture and the story of mankind. But I want to talk to you about some questions, questions that... Were raised on the very day of the resurrection. Questions that that we don't come up with. With our own presumed answers. But questions that were asked. Four of them on the day of the resurrection itself. Recorded in scripture. And asked by people or by the Lord. And then two more added to that that were asked by Paul in response or in discussion of the resurrection. So we begin our reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with verse 1, the resurrection chapter. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter. Then to the twelve... Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles Now, skipping down a paragraph or so to verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And skipping over to verse 45 of the same chapter. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is the word of the Lord. And certainly thanks be to God for it. The first Adam, originally created in the righteousness of God, by his sin, stripped us all naked. The last Adam suffering the shame of nakedness on the cross. By his obedience, clothes us in the righteousness of God. And we certainly, as Christians, can rejoice and find peace and hope in that fact. As you can see in these verses that we read, and we could have read many more, that the Apostle Paul, was never in doubt about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had absolute confidence in the fact of the resurrection. Although he was one who hated Christ and certainly was not submissive to Christ, was one who did not believe in Christ at the time of the crucifixion, as one who rejoiced because Jesus was nailed to the tree. Yet afterwards, after Jesus, the resurrected Savior, revealed himself to Paul, Paul found great confidence, peace, and salvation because of that resurrection. I want to talk to you about some resurrection questions that I think you and I can relate to today. The first one is found in Mark chapter 16. You're welcome to turn over and follow along if you would like. The verses will not be on the scripture, but I will read them to you. The first question is this one. Who will roll away the stone for us? Who will roll away the stone for us. Mark chapter 16. This, by the way, is a question that betrays human weakness, human frailty, human futility. When the Sabbath was passed, Mark chapter 16 verse 1 says, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, large Jesus we believe was crucified on Friday it was imperative that they get him off the cross and into the tomb before 6 p.m. because that's when the Sabbath would begin Jewish days don't go from midnight to midnight like ours They go from 6 p.m. one day to 6 p.m. the next day. And it was nearing, uh, it was after 3 p.m. when Jesus had died. They took him down. They had to bury him hastily, not making the proper and the normal and the traditional customary um, uh, preparations for a dead body to be placed in the grave. And so they hastily placed him in the burial place, a new grave, a new cave that had been dug out for a wealthy man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And they placed Jesus there. And the Romans rolled a large stone over that grave with the intention that it would never have to be moved again. And they left him. And at 6 p.m., the Sabbath began. And because it was the Sabbath, the women all that evening and all day Saturday could not and would not def- defile the Sabbath by going to the tomb. But early, as the sun was just beginning to lighten the eastern skies over the Mount of Olives, they make their way to the tomb to properly uh, prepare the body for burial. And they asked the question, who will roll away the stone for us? A question of weakness and a question of futility. And I want to suggest to you that the very same weakness those woman, women felt that morning is the weakness that marks your life and mine. These women had been followers of Jesus for some time. There was Mary Magdalene. She had been delivered from at least seven demons that inhabited her body. But she was healed by Jesus and became a follower. There was a Mary, the mother of Uh, The second James, not James and John, but the one that's often called James the Lesser. The one that we read about less than the other. And then there was Salome. This was Mrs. Zebedee. was Zebedee the fisherman's wife, the mother of James and John. She was an aunt to Jesus. James and John, her sons, were his cousins. These women felt their frailty. They felt their inability in a very keen and physical way. Just as you and I have physical weaknesses, our bodies are in a constant state of decay. From the day you drew your first breath, you began a journey towards death. That bookmark is already in place. It may be today for one of us. It may be many years down the road. But certainly understand this. We are not supernatural beings in our flesh. This body is frail. There's physical weakness. There is emotional weakness. And you feel it, and I feel it. It is a reality of life. We live with human limitations. And the greatest limitation of all is that we can do absolutely nothing, not one single thing to move our life towards God in our own strength or to do some redeeming work that would bring his favor and his grace into our lives. If our efforts brought his grace, it would not be grace, it would be payment. And it would be our merit, seeking to earn credit with God. But our human limitations are these. You cannot roll away the stone to Jesus' tomb You cannot roll away the stone to your own tomb. You have no strength to sustain or continue your life when God says, now it's time for it to be over. We have many limitations. That is the product of the fall. As the scripture we read in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam, in the first man, we all died. But it's in the second man, The second Adam, Jesus, that we can all be made alive. Question number two. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The text is Luke chapter 24. And this question, follow me now, is a question exposing doubt and unbelief. As we sang some amazing songs, hymns of praise, songs of assurance and confidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ a few minutes ago. And as the, as the uh, song and as the voices were lifted up in unison to God, you could sense And tell and feel the the testimony and the confidence of God's people here. But listen to me. I know that in this congregation, there are some who could not sing those words with great confidence, without doubt, because you are yet in your unbelief. Listen to what the Bible says in the account of that morning in Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. It's talking about these women, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two women stood by, or Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, Rise. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Do you not remember what he told you when you were in Galilee just last Sunday? We read some of those scriptures about how Jesus had affirmed Over and over and over again that he was going to suffer many things at the hands of sinful men. That he was going to go up to Jerusalem and that's what they were going to experience while there. And at least three or four times he told his apostles, he told the other followers, these women with the apostles, this is what I'm going to experience but I'm going to rise on the third day. The Bible says that they could not understand that. That they didn't know what he was talking about. That their attention was focused so much on personal advancement. Who is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Will it be me? Can, we, can, can I sit here on this side of you, Jesus, in your kingdom when it comes? They were so focused on self-advancement that they missed what Jesus said about his suffering. But that should not surprise us. For thousands of years, the prophets had spoken and the prophets had preached and the prophets had predicted. For instance, Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering Savior But their greatest rabbis, their greatest teachers, they had read all over those verses and they did not know what to do with them. Why? Because they could not fathom a suffering Messiah. Neither did his apostles. And these women, it was the third day and they were going to anoint his body to give it a proper burial. Why? Because as far as they knew, He was dead, and he was dead for good. Why did it, why was it so hard for them to believe what Jesus said? Let me turn that question around. Why is it so hard for you to believe what Jesus said? Why is it so hard for you to believe what Jesus said? Why is it so hard for you to believe what Jesus said? You say, well, I I believe in the resurrection. Well, okay, you're looking backwards. Certainly, you have reason to believe. You have the written record of this. Maybe you've believed it all of your life. But what about the other things Jesus said? What about other things that Scripture records But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. So why are you so worried about your needs? When he said, just the same way that that God provides for the birds of the air, God will provide for you. You are so much better than they and so much more important. Why do you have a hard time? Why do you fret over having your needs met? When Jesus said to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything in life will be provided for you. Why then do you seek everything except the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Why do you place your hope in earthly things? Why do you look for happiness and contentment in stuff? Why do you keep your eyes on the horizontal, trying to find meaning in life, peace in life, hope and confidence in life? When all those things can only be found by looking on the vertical and lifting up your eyes and focusing on Christ. Can I say to you that you and I live in just as great a degree of doubt and unbelief as these women? Why do we keep looking to the world for answers, seeking the living among the dead? Have you ever thought about the fact that every other leader of the world's great religions, Buddha, Confucius, Mohammed, or any of the others, they have long since returned to the dust from whence they came. But you go to Jerusalem and you look for the tomb of Jesus and you'll find it is empty. It has been empty for 2,000 years and that Christianity is the only faith that can offer you eternal life and eternal hope. That Christianity is the only religious system that provides the answers to life you are looking for. People today are struggling so hard to try to find the answers and the desires of their hearts. Even to the point of looking into things that revile that revile mankind and are awful in the eyes of God. Even to the point of saying, if I can just change my gender, if I can just do this or that, I want to tell you that is the ultimate desperation of trying to find some kind of meaning and hope and fulfillment, and it will never be found in turning away from the truth of God's Word and giving a blind eye, turning a blind eye to Jesus. This is the only answer. Why do we seek the living among the dead? question number 3 John chapter 20 it is a question of compassion and empathy but mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of jesus had lain one of the one at the head and one at the feet She's already seen the angels. Obviously heavenly beings. In dazzling apparel. Literally the word is lightning. They were like lightning. Blinding to look upon. They had already told her he has risen. But she's still wondering who has taken the body of Jesus and where. And here is... A man standing behind her saying, Woman, why are you weeping? The Bible tells us she thought it was the gardener, right? But it wasn't. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. But she did not recognize him. In some way, there was some way that who he was 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 withheld from her. You know, folks, we live in a culture that has basically two different ways of explaining Jesus or understanding him, both of them in error. On the one hand, there are those who say, well, God is a God of anger and of judgment and of wrath, a God to flee from, no God that I would want to believe in or follow. Sad to say sometimes, it is within the Christian Church that we project that kind of God. But some let the pendulum swing so far the other way that they believe God is a God who is just kind of like a, you know, like a big, warm fuzzy, like a teddy bear, like a like a grandpa in whose eyes the grandchildren can never do anything wrong. Now I want you to know, that's true about my grandkids. (laughs) I'm not sure about yours. But some see God as being that kind of God who just tells them what they want to hear. Who just winks and turns the other way no matter what they do. Who is a God that, that says to them, you go ahead and accept what, what you want to believe out of the Bible and just don't worry about the rest of it. You just take uh, this God of all love and feel good emotion. I want to tell you that God is neither one of those exclusively. But he is of God, a God of both wrath and a God of love. And you say, well, those... Those can't work together. Well, they do in God. But understand this, God's wrath, God's wrath was poured out in judgment on his own son on the cross. His wrath against sinful mankind was directed towards Jesus on a cross. That that day, those six hours, that one Friday, those six hours, the sin of the whole world came crashing in on Jesus like the relentless never-ending waves against the seashore as they crashed against him. And it took six hours for all that sin to finally pile up. Every sin of every mankind on Jesus was born by him on that day. And the wrath of God is that the Father left him to die for those sins. He paid your price. You were guilty. He paid your guilt debt. You deserved to be nailed that cross. And so did I. But Jesus bore that for us. It was an excruciating death. It was so unbearably painful. By the way, I mentioned that Thursday night in our Lord's Supper communion service. The death of Christ was so unbearably painful that a new word had to be invented to describe it. It is the word excruciating. Excruciating means out of the cross. Jesus died an excruciating death for you. But he is also, because of that, God can be a loving God towards you and me. That does not mean we can do what we want to do and live any way we want to live. He didn't allow his son Jesus to die that kind of death so that you can just go along willy-nilly any way. Where did that ever come from? Willy-nilly? You know what I mean. Just live like you want to. But he loves you. And he calls you to himself. Peter, who went to the cross, I went to the uh, tomb that day and found it empty, said this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The writer of Hebrews said, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we we are yet without sin. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that you can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Woman, why are you weeping? I ask you today, why is your heart heavy today? Why are you weeping today, maybe not outwardly, but certainly within? Why do you bear a load that Jesus, maybe unrecognized by you, is asking you to step into his arms and to come boldly to him and lay that burden down? Well, right on the heels of that question, right on the heels of, Woman, why are you weeping? Jesus says this, and it's also recorded in John 20, Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? It's a penetrating question of priorities. She was seeking her master. She was seeking her savior. She was seeking the one who had given her hope like no one else ever could and I ask you today who are you seeking who did you come here to church seeking today maybe you're just here because it's kind of a family time I mean it's Easter Sunday after all and so I always go to church on Easter Sunday maybe a long time before you ever darken the door of the Lord's house again. I'm not criticizing you. That's just the reality of Easter Sunday, isn't it? It's just the reality of Easter Sunday. Maybe you're seeking time with family. That's good. That's good. Maybe inwardly you're seeking for something more. Maybe you're not even sure how to answer the question. But the bottom line is, every last one of us, beginning with Pastor Dan over here, going across this congregation through the balcony, all the way to Brother David over here, every one of us is seeking something in life beyond ourselves. Something beyond ourselves. It's a question of priorities. What do you care most about in life? Success? Is that what you're seeking? Well, head on down that road. Some of you may find it. Some of you won't. But even those who do, it doesn't matter if you climb that ladder all the way to the top. When you get to the end of life, you're going to find out that ladder is leaning against the wrong building because you're going to find your way all the way to the top and never be one inch closer to God. What are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? You see, every decision of life. Who to marry, what to to make my career, what decision I have to make. Every decision of life is a spiritual decision. Will it get you closer to God or will it take you away? Can I tell you a prayer I have for my family that I have never even told them? I'm sure this is going to make for some dinner table discussion. My prayer for my kids and my grandkids, Lord, don't ever let them succeed in something that would take them further away from you. Don't ever let them succeed. Don't ever let them be good. Don't ever let them have success in anything That would draw them away from you. It would be better for God to take everything away from us. To take every recognition away from us. Every bit of success away from us. If it would cause us to seek him first in life. That is the better thing. The better thing. Jeremiah said... Seek the Lord with all of your heart. Very quickly. The last two questions are not found on that resurrection morning, but the Apostle Paul asking them 25 years later. We read, well, we didn't actually read one of them. We came to it, and we stopped just short of it. And the question is this. How can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now keep in mind, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and they had heard some wrong teaching. A false prophet had come to that church and said, There is no resurrection for you, there's no resurrection for your loved ones that have died, there's no hope of a resurrection. And Paul writes this resurrection chapter in response to correct that false teaching. And when he gets down to verse 12, he says this. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so in the next paragraph, he's going to, to make an argument. He's going to offer a discussion where he's going to take the resurrection of Jesus and take the promise of the resurrection for God's people and bring those things together and say, because Jesus was raised from the dead, if you're a follower of Jesus, you too will be raised from the dead. And if you're going to be raised from the dead, it's a sure reality and fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's it's kind of an argument that goes both ways. And in verses 12 through 19, he says, without the resurrection, we have no assurance of a resurrection. The gospel we preach is useless and groundless. Our faith is in vain and it serves no purpose. We are found to be liars and we are still in our sins. Our loved ones who died have perished and are utterly destroyed. And we have no hope in the world and no hope for the next. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, all of those things are true. But he says, because Jesus was raised from the dead... We have the assurance of a resurrection too. Our gospel is grounded in the truth. It is powerful to save. Our faith is meaningful and it fulfills God's purposes. We are people of the truth and we have been forgiven. We know where our loved ones are in the presence of God. And we are people of great hope and confidence. And then he goes down towards the end of this chapter, and he asks our six questions. Actually, it's a couplet. It's two questions put together. O death, where is your sting? Our victory. O death, where is your sting? I'll not turn and read all those verses at the end of the chapter But he says in verse 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a question, listen to me, let's celebrate in this. This is a question that mocks a defeated foe. It mocks a defeated foe, and it heartens a victorious people. This question is God saying to the devil, Oh, death, you are the one of death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, oh, grave, where is your victory? You don't have one. It mocks the enemy and heartens God's people. Can I say something to you, Christian people? Always remember, there are worse things for the Christ follower than dying. Don't ever dread or be fearful or afraid of death. There are so many things far worse. If you're a follower of Christ... Death will be your greatest victory. It will usher you immediately into the presence of God. Your last breath here will be your first breath in the place that you were created for. You will see sights you've never seen. You will hear sounds you've never heard. You will smell smells that you've never smelled before. Heaven will have colors that you did not know even existed. And most of all, this resurrected Savior will be there. And I'm convinced when the eyes of a saint opens up in heaven and sees, you saw the expression of, on Mary's face on that video, the absolute sheer surprise and joy, it won't compare to what it will be like when you see Jesus for the first time and heaven for the first time. And I don't know what Jesus looks like to you. I don't know what he thinks about or what what you think of when you see him, but I imagine him throwing his head back in a great big belly laugh saying, I knew you would like it because I've been working for 2,000 years to get it ready for you. Are you ready to see Jesus, the resurrected and living Savior? Will you commit your life to follow him today, some in salvation, others in lordship, surrendering your life and your agenda and your plans to the one who paid for everything for you. Father, thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you for the awful, awful death of your son Jesus Christ. Thank you that he bore that excruciating pain on our behalf. But thank you today that he's not a dead example. He is our living Lord, and I pray that we will commit our lives to follow him all the days that we live. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.